You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. No layups? More like more layups. On that positive note, welcome into another episode, a joyous one of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. The Rockets polished off a few moments ago a huge 115-111 win in Portland on Tuesday night, snapping the Blazers' 13-game winning streak. The win improves the Rockets to 57-14 and on the year, effectively giving them, after Golden State's loss in San Antonio last night, a five-game lead with only 11 to play in the race for the Western Conference's number one seed and home court throughout the playoffs, which at this point is pretty much over because the Rockets, not only is it a five-game lead with 11 to go and most of the Warriors still out, the Rockets now finish off the three-game road trip at 3-0. Three games and four nights all against playoff teams on the road. Doesn't matter. Rockets got them all. Now they come home for Eight of their next nine, including a five-game road trip, four against lottery teams, in which they'll be favored by double digits in each. Boy, the Rockets, even if they need to rest players, you did see Chris Paul appearing to grab at his hamstring late in the game. You've seen a few nagging injuries to the hands of Clint Capella and James Harden of late. Even if the Rockets do have some nagging things to rest, we'll have to see what happens when they get back to Houston. Certainly all three of those guys played through whatever nicks and bumps they had very successfully in Portland to get the 115 to 111 win, but even if the Rockets do have some minor nicks and bumps, it's not a big deal because up five games with 11 to go, this thing is over, especially with eight of the next nine in Houston. What a statement game this was to effectively wrap up the number one seed in home court throughout the NBA playoffs, and what a big confidence win I think it was for the Rockets too. Not that the Rockets are lacking in confidence, but given the Blazers having won 13 in a row, Given the statements in the press from Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, the no layups after just the ridiculous controversy at the end of the prior game about Chris Paul going in for a layup when they were up seven with 15 seconds left instead of dribbling the clock out, for the Rockets to go into a virtual madhouse in Portland on national TV and out-execute them in the fourth quarter, outscored them 29-14, to 14, or 29-24, to 24, excuse me, getting way ahead of myself. But generally, the Rockets, down the stretch of the game, they made the plays. James Harden led the way. 42 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, 13 of 25 shooting, 5 of 7 from 3, including 2 dagger 3s in the final 3 minutes. We can now add Portland to the list of teams, the long list of teams that have been closed out by James Harden on those dagger 3s. But in general, for most of the night, the defense for the Blazers was not to do what most teams do against the Rockets. They were not going to give up those threes. They were going to dare James Harden to beat them. And even on the road against a very good backcourt in Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, that's exactly what James Harden did. And when the Rockets needed him most down the stretch of the game to hit those big shots, that's exactly what he did, including the dagger to put them up nine with two minutes to go right over the outstretched arms of Damian Lillard. That's what an MVP does, even on the road against a team in the Blazers, even with the loss, Blazers 44-27, and 27, firm number three in the Western Conference, and considering the injuries to the Warriors, you could argue that, I think it's more than argue, it's a fact that after the Rockets, they're playing the second best ball in the Western Conference, and despite a game in which the Blazers' role players played out of their collective minds, Nurkic, 9-10, of 10, 
Mo Harkless, 5 of 5. Al Farouk Aminu, 7 of 11, including 6 of 8 from 3. So between Aminu, Harkless, and Nurkic, let's add this up. That is 21 of 26 from the field. Over 80% from your front court. None of those being your stars, including 9 of 11 from 3. That is incredible from the role players. This was the quintessential game in which the you often see role players play better at home. Now, I'm not going to say the Rockets had no help outside of James Harden, who had 42 points. mentioned his 13 of 25 from the field. Chris Paul, 22 points, 8 boards, 6 assists. Also made 5 of 6 free throws, including 2 big ones in the final 2 seconds to seal it up. But other than those two, wasn't a great night for the Rockets role players. Now off the bench, Eric Gordon, 7-14, Luke Mute, 5-7, of seven, combined 31 points between those guys, 18 for Eric, 13 for uh, Luke. That's a good night. But by and large, Trevor Ariza, 2-7, of seven, P.J. Tucker, 1-2, of two, although the one shot that P.J. did make, this was an under-the-radar under key game for P.J. His 1-3 pushed it from 1-4 to four in the second half of the fourth quarter, also had a big offensive rebound to set up the Trevor Ariza three, the only three Ariza made. So even if those two guys weren't there for the entire game, they did make plays down the stretch. Clint Capella, 5.6 boards in his 24 minutes. He was largely outplayed by Nurkic, who had 21 points and 11 boards. Generally, outside of Eric and Luke, the Blazers' role players played better. And outside of Luke and Eric off the bench, pretty much whatever stretch four you put in there, really a stretch five in this game, because with Nene, you couldn't really play a, a backup center. The Rockets' backup options without Brandon Wright, Nene and Tarek Black being too traditional for a Blazers team with so much shooting, so many playmakers, so much athleticism. So the Rockets had to go small. And whether they went with Ryan Anderson, Joe Johnson, the Blazers, they exploited the mismatch. They knew the Rockets would try and switch, and they would go at Ryan. They would go at Joe. So generally... The Rockets, the role players were outplayed. Now, Gerald Green did give them some big minutes defensively. Gerald, even though he played just 11 minutes in the second half, just three points, he was actually a plus eight in those 11 minutes. His defensive energy was big. We'll discuss him in either segment two or segment three, probably both in this podcast, as we move forward. But leading off, this was a quintessential game in which the Blazers' role players played better at home, and it should have been enough to get the win. But even with the Blazers' front court, as we mentioned, 21 of 26 from the field, Trevor, PJ, and Clint, what, just 5 of 12? And despite that huge disparity, the Rockets still found a way, because that's how great James Harden was, that's how great Chris Paul was, between them 64 points, 13 assists, 14 rebounds, just absolutely ridiculous, even though the Blazers out-rebounded them by 6, even though the Blazers shot nearly 40% from 3, 50% from the field, well, the Rockets, because their starting backcourt was that good, the Rockets, they shot over 50% from three, but that's because James Harden and Chris Paul were a combined 10 of 17. Other than those two, they weren't that good, but the bottom line is the Rockets' star backcourt, they delivered when the Rockets needed them most. James Harden down the stretch, and also early in the fourth quarter, the Rockets took this from being a blazer lead at the beginning of the quarter to a six-point lead when James Harden returned to the game. That's a rare stretch early in the fourth quarter, which the Rockets turned things in their direction when James was actually on the bench. So even though James hit the shots and for the game, 42-7-6, had the MVP stat line, what should essentially lock him up as the MVP, well, far and away front runner, I would say, the should-be unanimous winner, the Rockets actually turned this game and took control in the fourth quarter when James was on the bench. 
That's what's different about these rackets. You certainly could not say that a year ago. That's how good Chris Paul and Eric Gordon were, especially together. Chris, 22-8-6. Eric, 18-4. and four. But it seemed like those two had really good synergy together those minutes early in the fourth quarter. Also, defensively, I thought those guys played well. And ultimately, the minutes that Harden and Lillard were on the bench were as impactful as anything. But on the balance of the game, when you look at 48 minutes, what happened in this game? The Blazers' role players at home did what you would expect them to do. They came out in a game in which the crowd was juiced and played out of their minds. The difference, despite all the talk going into the game from Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum about no layups, all the slights, how angry they were. Well, the Rockets' backcourt ended up with 64, 14, and 13 on, what, 19 of 41 shooting from the field, almost 50%. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, just 28 points, 9 assists, and 6 rebounds combined. C.J. had just 8 on 4 of 15 from the field. Damian, 20 on 5 of 17. But between them, 9 of 32. Think about that. 9 of 32 for the Blazers' starting backcourt, both all-star caliber, relative to the Rockets, who shot 19 of 41. Combined, just add up the points. 64, 14, and 13 versus 28, 9, and 6. Even though the Blazers' backcourt is really good, the Rockets' backcourt is great. And in this game, the great backcourt, even on the road, even in their house, those two big guns for the Rockets, James Harden and Chris Paul, they clowned one of the better alternative backcourts in the league. That's how big the margin is. You're talking about the advantages the Rockets have in the backcourt with James Harden and Chris Paul. This might be the toughest one you line up against. Maybe Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, of course, you can throw them up there as well. But Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they can hang with anyone. And the Rockets, boy, they were just in a different zip code when it came to the star players, even in Portland. These are games in which you get James Harden and Chris Paul for, and boy, did they deliver. Kudos to them. Also, I'll throw a shout-out to Craig Ackerman, who I had on this show yesterday. He explained the difference between these two teams. Built fairly similarly, but the difference is that the Rockets have more defense out of those two guards than what the Blazers do. Well, that showed up tonight, again, especially with Lillard, whoever he was switched on to, James or Chris, it seemed like they were able to exploit him at will. But the Rockets guards shooting nearly 50%, the Blazers guards being about 30%, actually a little below 30% combined. Difference in this game. The Rockets guards were two-dimensional. Chris Paul and James Harden made plays on both ends of the floor. Eric Gordon as well. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they did not. The Rockets made the plays when it mattered, and their stars won out, even in Portland. And for a Rockets team, even 57-14 and 14 on the year, we should be used to it by now. Now 27-2 and two in the past two-plus months since James Harden returned from the grade two hamstring injury. We should be used to these wins. But in that environment against a team that won 13 in a row, including multiple wins over the Warriors in the last two months. The Trailblazers, their fans, they thought it was their night, and they had so many out-of-body experiences from the role players you thought it might be. And even with all of that, James Harden and Chris Paul are just so damn good that they didn't let it happen. So to me, that's as close to a feel-good win as you might have had all year, considering the circumstances. Again, third game in four nights, all on the road, for the Rockets, and now 57-14, and 14, effectively a five-game lead considering the tiebreaker over the Warriors in the race for number one seed. This uh, pretty much locked up the number one seed, and for the rest of the year, you can focus on, in my opinion, getting rested, optimizing your rotation, getting us ready for peak performance in mid-April for the playoffs as humanly possible. Now, transitioning into the second segment 
I let off or concluded, I should say, the first segment talking about getting ready for the playoffs, optimizing your rotation. One thing that was really interesting in that context tonight were some of the new wrinkles we saw from Mike D'Antoni. Now, in the first half of the game, we saw Ryan Anderson as your backup center, which we've seen since he returned to the lineup on Saturday in New Orleans. And that's by design. I think the Rockets are aware, especially against some of the quicker teams in the West, of his defensive limitations at the four. So I think in an ideal world, in today's NBA, especially against teams like the Blazers and the Warriors, he's probably a five. And the Rockets have tried to get him minutes there. They want to get him some reps. They want to build up his confidence as best they can, et cetera, et cetera. It worked fairly well, especially in Minnesota, when he made four or five threes, and I believe had 14 points in like 17 minutes. Tonight, they tried it in the first half. Nene, as I mentioned early on, certainly not a matchup against the Blazers with all their shooting, their athleticism, their playmaking. You would have exploited him on the switches at well, at, at will. Well, the unfortunate side of it is that they were able to exploit Ryan as well, and he only got two looks offensively from three. He did make one of them, but nowhere near enough to offset his defensive limitations when it seemed like he would get switched on to Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum and they would just take him right to the rim. Oftentimes didn't score themselves, but it collapsed the defense leading to a three for someone like Harkless or Aminu who made them at such just a ridiculous clip all night long, keeping this game closer than maybe it should have been on paper. But Ryan Anderson, it's going to be situational for him. There are going to be some matchups that are better than others. This did not appear to be a good matchup for him. Flipside Minnesota appeared to be a very good one. So the Rockets, in my opinion, are walking a fine line. They can't not play him at all because they want to get him back into rhythm. They want to get him reps after not playing a couple of weeks with the hip flexor because he can be very important depending on the matchups. But there are going to be some where his defensive limitations, they're glaring. And I I feel like that with Ryan being as a shooter, the Rockets are more comfortable not playing Nene and then inserting him if it's a playoff matchup where they really need him, like against Oklahoma City and Steven Adams. Nene, at 35 years old, and with his game back to the basket, I don't think Nene needs as much fine-tuning as a shooter like Ryan Anderson probably needs rhythm, especially after the past couple of weeks. So in my opinion, that's why if you're uncertain as far as who's going to get those minutes, the Rockets are erring on the side of Ryan Anderson, because I think the Rockets feel confident that if they need Nene, they can bring him out there even not playing for two or three games, and he'll be just fine. Whereas Ryan Anderson, you want to get him back in rhythm. We saw earlier this year when he went into a deep freeze for about 20 to 25 games, and they want to have him at least feeling good about his jump shot in case there's a matchup they draw, because it's not like the Rockets can pick their matchup. There's about, what, six teams between five and ten in the standings separated by a couple of games right now. So the Rockets have to be very flexible because it's not going to be all in their hands as far as who they play, especially in the first round, and maybe not in the second as well. But the bottom line as far as this game, Ryan Anderson and Nene, neither were good matchups. Now, Joe Johnson played 15 minutes, but the pace was a little too quick for him as well. So in this case, with a premium on speed, athleticism, playmaking, I thought that Mike D'Antoni made a very savvy adjustment, bringing in Gerald Green instead of Ryan Anderson in the second half, essentially admitting that, hey, no matter who we try at the center spot, when Clint Capella comes out of the game, we're not going to be able to switch. So you know what? We'll take our chances. If the Blazers want to go down on the low block with Nurkic, Ed Davis, whoever it may be, we'll take our chances defending the post-up game before we essentially admit that there's someone we're not going to be able to guard one-on-one and probably give up an open three from the defense being collapsed. I thought that was a very savvy adjustment. Gerald over Ryan essentially admitting that none of the backup center options were going to work tonight, so why try them? And then in the fourth quarter, it wasn't just Gerald playing over Ryan. Then it was Gerald over Joe because Joe entered the game before Gerald did, but he also 
exited uh, before. This was not a game that Mike D'Antoni overplayed. Joe Johnson capped his minutes at 15, held Ryan at 9, did not play at all in the second half, I believe. Gerald played 11, but of those 11 minutes, all came in the second half. The important thing, Mike adjusted in-game. He saw what was happening with both Ryan and Joe Johnson, their limited foot speed, guys that might be ideal in a half-court setting against a team like Minnesota, maybe San Antonio as well. Not so much tonight in Portland. They adjusted, and Gerald, we mentioned plus eight in his 11 minutes. He did make just one of his two threes, which is 50%, so that's good. But for Gerald, it wasn't just the offense. It was the energy. It was the defense. Also, he had a huge block. In that stretch in the fourth quarter, which the Rockets were expanding the lead, just his overall energy, his ability to play in space, his ability to contest out to the three-point line, this was a game in which the Rockets needed more speed. They needed to be able, one through five, to switch on everything, contest to the three-point line. The Blazers seemed to be shooting out of their minds. Think about this for the Blazers tonight. They shot 39% from three, but Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum were 0 of 12. So the role players, the non-Lillard and McCollums, they were 11 of 16. That's ridiculous. That's how much the Rockets had to respect the ability to switch. First off, I don't care how poor Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are. These are all-star caliber players. You have to respect them no matter what their lines are. And if the role players are shooting like that, you can't leave anyone. And the Rockets knew that. So rather than try and force a square peg into a, a round hole... Mike D'Antoni adjusted on the fly. They wanted to get Mike uh, Mike D'Antoni, excuse me, wanted to get Ryan Anderson some reps. I think he's also trying to see Joe Johnson get him a little more rhythm because I don't think Joe has been quite as bad as Rockets Twitter thinks. It's more that he just, for whatever reason, can't make a shot. Tonight he actually just did not get shots, period, in 15 minutes. He only took one, missed it off the dribble, didn't have any threes at all. Generally on tape, I don't think Joe looks that bad. Other than he's making shots, I think the Rockets would love for him to be able to get a couple of easy looks. Maybe in this homestand, eight of nine, eight of nine the next nine games in Houston, he'll get a chance to do that. But for right now, you just have to survive in advance in a situation like this. And I think the Rockets knew it would be big for their confidence getting a win like that, even with the Portland team having so much going their way. And between that, the opportunity to essentially put a hammerlock, which they did, going up to a five-game lead in the Western Conference standings on the Golden State Warriors for the number one seed. This was kind of a survive and advance game. Yes, the Rockets have some goals. They want to get Ryan Anderson going again. They want to see what they have in Joe Johnson. But kudos to Mike D'Antoni. He showed you that, yes, even though he's got these veterans and we know his preference to play those guys, at the same time, he could adjust on the fly. The situation called for Gerald Green. And even though Gerald Green didn't make his threes, just his energy, his defense made a huge difference. And folks... I'm going to be honest with you. If Gerald plays with that level of defense every night, it's going to be hard to bump him from this rotation because a lot of the season, Gerald's value is in whether or not he's making his threes. Tonight, he just made one shot in 11 minutes, yet he was incredibly valuable. I mentioned the plus eight in the plus minus in those 11 minutes. If Gerald is capable of playing defense like that, and who knows, maybe the relative benching he's taken of late has kind of brought on a little more effort on that side, but if Gerald Green can give you that much flexibility, that much switching, that much effort, then boy, especially against the upper echelon playoff teams, the guys with so much athleticism, so many shooting and playmaking options like the Blazers and the Warriors, it's tough to see Gerald Green not being one of your top eight or nine guys by the time you get to the playoffs. So even a night that he just scored three points, salute to Gerald. I thought this was a monster game for him from just an overall, I won't I won't necessarily say confidence for him, because he's always a confidence guy, but confidence in Mike D'Antoni 
and Mike's willingness to use him going forward down the stretch of the regular season, and especially once we get to the playoffs against teams like the Blazers and the Warriors. Final segment, let's spin this forward. Let's discuss where the Rockets are now. They're 57-14, and 14, winners of 23 of their last 24. They're 27-2, and two, just absurd since the return of James Harden from the grade 2 hamstring injury. That's two-plus months of basically 95% winning percentage basketball. Just absurd. Clearly the class of the NBA. And now with a five-game lead on the Warriors with 11 games left. The question is, when do you turn the page from trying to get every win and lock up that number one seed to resting? In my opinion, after getting this game tonight, I think it's going to be sooner than you think. Now, all these injuries are minor. We saw Chris Paul grabbing in his hamstring a little bit, but no major grimace finished out the game. We've seen Harden and Capella grabbing at their hands. We have Capella confirmed as his left thumb. So I don't think you're going to see like wholesale line changes in which the Rockets essentially punt a game. All of those guys sit out at once. But in my opinion, if the lead is this big, my guess is starting Thursday in Detroit, you'll see some of these guys sit. I could be wrong, but my guess is that the Rockets, they don't want to take April off, so to speak. They don't want, if they can avoid it, to have to feel like the last two weeks are for resting because they believe in rhythm. They believe in continuity. So I think they want to have their guys getting a couple of games in which they feel pretty good about themselves, are shooting the ball well, going into the playoffs. Now, you don't always have that luxury. I think rest trumps everything else. So if you have guys injured and the only time you can rest them is the last two or three games, then you just got to deal with that. But I think what you'll see from them, like last year, for example, when the Rockets were locked into that three seed, they actually started to rest their guys very late in March, early in April. It wasn't the last couple of games. It was actually the Phoenix game, which we saw Harden, Ariza, with about 10 games left in the season, I believe, sit out because you wanted to see those guys get a couple of games under their belt before the playoffs to get their rhythm back to prove that they're comfortable. So I don't know who's going to sit out first. I don't think the Rockets want to tank any game. And I think the Rockets are acutely aware that as long as they don't sit out two or three plus players, they're going to be huge favorites on pretty much every game. This homestand, maybe excluding New Orleans on Saturday night, who will be desperate, but the Rockets should be favored in that regardless, even against a playoff team in New Orleans. But my guess is starting maybe Thursday, but I would say certainly by the weekend, a back-to-back New Orleans Saturday and Atlanta on Sunday, that to me, especially that back-to-back, is when you'll start to see the Rockets rest players. Because I don't think they want to rest necessarily the final three or four games of the year. That's when you want to see guys building back up, ramping back up in terms of their minutes, proving that whatever injuries are behind them so that they're not uncertain heading into the playoffs. So if you have a lead like the Rockets do now, which is pretty much insurmountable, now they are still up four on the Raptors, but I'm not convinced the Raptors are going to go all out to try and catch the Rockets either. They actually set out DeMar DeRozan tonight in Orlando. They did narrowly escape in that game, but the Raptors are still four games back. They do have the tiebreaker, so they're four games back as opposed to Golden State, who's effectively five since they don't have the tiebreaker. But the Raptors have a pretty tough schedule. Two against Cleveland, one on the road. Two against Boston, one on the road. Also Indiana and Miami. So for the Raptors to even conceivably get back in the mix, the only way they could do it is, for example, the Rockets finish 7-4, and four, which is awfully conservative for a team that's won 27 in their last 29. Let's say the Rockets finish 7-4 and because they rest some guys. Well, for the Raptors to beat them in the race for home court throughout the playoffs, potential NBA Finals matchup, the Raptors have to 11-0. That does not really seem in the cards. So I don't think the Rockets, realistically, when they get back to Houston, and it's always a good chance to reassess when you get back home, when you're on the road, it's a grinding mentality. It's day-to-day. It's you. 
that's all that's around. When the Rockets get back to Houston, my guess is they take a bigger picture mindset. They take stock of where they are in the standings, heading into a homestand, mostly against weaker opponents. We'll also have to see what's going on with Brandon Wright and his knee. Last we heard was two to three weeks. That was 10 days ago. I'm sure we'll get an update on Thursday when the Rockets are back home. Maybe there's a chance for him in the next couple of weeks to return. We'll have to see exactly how his knee has responded. He hasn't been with them on the road trip, so I'm sure they'll be eager to test him out. But those are the types of things, in my opinion, that you want to answer in the next week to 10 days. Because when you get to April, to me, the Rockets want to start scaling back up. Not saying you're going to play the guys 35-plus minutes in that final week of the year. You have the two games at L.A. and Sacramento to end the year. Not saying anything like that. My guess is you want all your guys out there those games, at least for 25 minutes or so, to make sure that they're in rhythm, shooting the ball well, confident. You're going to see them overextend themselves to where they try to go the free throw line with regularity. We saw James get there 15 times tonight because that's a big game. Don't know if you'll see that the last week of the season. But in general, I think you do want your regulars out there to start establishing rotations, making sure that any nagging injuries are behind you, confidence, all that kind of stuff. So in my opinion, the time to rest is late March, as long as your lead is big enough. And in my opinion, with the win tonight, the Rockets lead five games with basically just 11 to go. That's big enough over the Warriors, certainly. And even against the Raptors, I know it's just four, but first off, that's the NBA Finals, not the Western Conference Finals. There's a long way to go to get there. And secondly, the Raptors resting DeRozan in a relatively difficult schedule. I have a hard time seeing the Raptors finish 10-1 or 11-0, and that's pretty much what it would take for them to even be a remote threat to the Rockets at this juncture. So in my opinion, the Rockets get back home. My guess is they realize that this number one seed, the race for home court throughout, it's pretty much a wrap at this point. So with this three-game road trip in the rearview mirror. I think now is the time to play the long game. Maybe not Thursday. We'll see. But the Pistons have actually played pretty well of late, so that's kind of a sneaky game that might be a little tougher than you think, especially with veterans. Reggie Jackson's back. Blake Griffin there. You know Blake's going to want to play well against the Rockets and Chris Paul, yada, yada. But especially this weekend, a back-to-back New Orleans and Atlanta, to me, you're going to start seeing the Rockets play the longer view now that you got this win in Portland. That's my biggest takeaway moving forward. So on that note, I will wrap tonight's show. It's gone on a little longer and certainly later in the night that I planned. I said on Twitter I would not do a post-game show, but, well, I was too excited after the game not to. You all know how I roll. So uh, 115-111 winners, the Rockets in Portland, to see them get that one against a Blazers team that wanted it so much. I was excited. Had to do a post-game show. So hopefully you guys appreciate that. Hopefully this kickstarts your Wednesday very well. And until tomorrow night when the Rockets take on the Pistons at Toyota Center, I will try and uh, get a little bit of rest, hopefully sneak in a few naps since it's not going to be a full night's sleep tonight. So uh, on that note, I will try and get whatever Z's I can. If you want more content from me over the next couple of days until the Pistons game Thursday night, best places on Twitter. I am at Ben Dubose. The show is at Locked on Rockets. Also Locked on Rockets at gmail.com. That's our email address, facebook.com slash Rockets and lockedinrockets.com. That's our website. Those are all places you can see our content, interact with me, leave questions, comments, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast and program for you, the diehard Rockets fan. We're the only daily program, the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets, the NBA's best team at 57 and 14. So if we can make it even better for you, don't hesitate to let me know. That's what we're here for. So until Thursday night's game, I'll sign off. Again, the very happy final from Portland. Rockets 115, Blazers 111. Rockets improve 237-14 uh, on the year. 43 games over 500. I was about to say 30-something games over 500. I'm, geez, this is so ridiculous. Rockets 57-14, 43 games over. They're just one game back of the all-time franchise record for wins in a season with 58. And there's still 11 to play. That's just ridiculous. So, yeah, the Rockets are about to shatter that franchise record. So that's one of many things to look forward to over the final 
11 games. Anyway, until tomorrow night in Detroit, I will sign off here. Again, the happy final, Rockets 115, Blazers were 11. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be talking again tomorrow night when the Rockets take on the Pistons right here on Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.